welcome to Season 3 of Lightwork Presents Everything is Connected, where we share inspiring stories with artists and art professionals on a wide range of topics about life and work. We share ideas on our inspirations and the influences that affect our lives. I sit down with artists and thought leaders across the diaspora to learn more about the things that make them tick, the ideas that they are passionate about, and the ways in which their work seeks to impact our society in a variety of ways. Join us as we continue the journey of sharing the interesting and inspiring stories of some of today's most dynamic artists and art professionals in the industry. Let's go! On this episode, I'm joined by Kent Kelly. I first met Kent a couple of years ago through Amwari Musa, who was on a recent episode. Kent comes from the financial world and has worked for many years as a CFO. He recently started collecting art and currently sits on the board of the High Museum in Atlanta. A couple of weeks ago, an article came out that I worked on and was published in Artnet on all of the incredible things that are happening in Atlanta and its art scene. Kent was a really big part of sharing with me some of the amazing things that are happening in Atlanta and some of the key stakeholders who are a part of the vibrant art community there. The Spellman Symposium is in full swing in Atlanta when Kent and I sit down to talk about his interest in the arts, how he got started collecting, and some of the things that he's most excited about in his art collecting journey. Let's dive into my latest episode with Kent Kelly. Kent Kelly, I'm so happy to have you on the show. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. So here we are in Atlanta. It's Friday afternoon. The Spellman Symposium is underway. Started yesterday, which I know you attended and then had a nice gathering at your home after the symposium. I was also down here in Atlanta a couple of months ago on your invitation to see what is brewing and what is happening here in Atlanta. So can you talk to me a little bit about your journey into the arts as a collector? Sure, sure. Happy to. It's, you know, it's, a, it's amazing how much has been accomplished you know, since I started collecting, as well as how much I've learned and I think this weekend or this week with the event at Spellman was really a culmination of that, of over time immersing myself in the art world with the view of a collector as well as a patron and building relationships and not just wanting to buy work, that is very important, but also building relationships within the the industry and then learning myself. And there's so many different elements to learn in the art world. There is just learning about art itself and the different forms of art, whether it be photography or abstract or portraiture or sculpture. There's so many different areas to to learn about. And my intellectual curiosity has been peaked and well-fed if I may say, through my my collecting journey. I love that. You know, I think we met a couple of years ago through Musa, an art advisor who was on a previous episode, and that was sort of our more formal introduction. But over the years, you know, I see you in New York, I see you in Miami, I see you in L.A., we're both attending, we're attending fairs, we're doing studio visits, we're talking to artists, we're meeting artists, and for you, you're also buying work, and as you said, building these relationships. What would you say is sort of maybe one of the most rewarding parts of 
where you sort of see yourself and where you kind of sit within the art world today? I think when I look back years from now on my collecting, I'll look at the impact that I've had on emerging artists. And not only the impact that I've had on them, but also that they've had on me. Going to studio visits with emerging artists has been, you know, great because we're we're both we're asking each other questions, and it's it's gotten to to that point, and so it's it's really nice because what kinds of questions? You know, things such as you know me asking them about their work, their process, how much time they spend in the studio, and just lots of questions about their, their practice. And then they throw questions back at me, like how should I be thinking about a relationship with a gallery? And, or I had this individual approach me about X and what do you think about that? And things along those lines, you know, just residencies, input or advice on residencies. And, and even to the point of input and advice on agreements with galleries mm. and it's you know as I look and that's why I say as I look forward or when I you know do a, a look back I think that's one of the things that will stand out the most because very I've been fortunate enough to meet very brilliant and talented artists and I know that they care about their careers and this this is their passion and they have an opportunity and uh, are fortunate to invest in their art and to spend the time in the studio perfecting and progressing their their work. And so you don't want them to run into the pitfalls that are out there. And so I, at first, initially, I was surprised that anyone would come to me for advice. But I think we should back up a little and talk about you and talk about your professional experience and, and, and what it is that you bring to the table that would be a reason why artists and young people feel comfortable and encouraged to come to you and, and seek out that advice. So what do you do in your professional life for those who don't know you and who are listening to this for the first time, being introduced to you for the first time? Sure, sure. So but by trade, I'm a chief financial officer in the, the software, and so that exposes me to a number of different you know, elements. One is just running a tech company and all the responsibilities that, that come with that. And that may range from having responsibility for you know, numerous areas in the company, HR, IT, financials, taxes, et cetera. It varies depending upon the, the, the company, but through that, you know, experience, I've, you know, gained a certain amount of business acumen and that experience and have to deal with a number of contracts as well. And, you know, that experience gives me somewhat of a, an eye, or at least a, a certain level of judgment when I come across different contracts or different n- negotiations. Right. But, but that's not, a, it's not, you know, ex- it's not a straight transfer into the art industry, but as I have learned, and I've also seen some of the pitfalls that artists have gotten in themselves into, that's made me aware and allowed me to then apply the knowledge that I have to whatever situation I'm faced with. Right. I mean, I would imagine that anyone in a role like like the roles that you've been in in your professional career 
leadership roles require a bit of, you know, you, you said this to me before in a previous conversation that what you're doing in a CEO role or what you're doing in a leadership role is really about other people, right? It's about your ability to uplift your team. It's about your ability to keep people motivated. And it's understanding the sensitivity and the nuance of like working with others, right? And how challenging that that can sometimes be. So I would imagine that everything that you've, that all, so many of those experiences must come to bear when artists talk to you about what they're experiencing. That That is true. That That, that, that is very true. If, I, if you think about it, in the art world, there isn't an industry HR. Exactly. Right? And so you're, because of Great that, point. you don't have the checks and balances that occur in the corporate world. And those things are important as well as, and, and not just HR, but as you said, relationships and valuing relationships. And you don't want to take any relationship for granted, quite frankly, because you never know where that person's going to be in the future. And so you want to respect everyone. And I know when I was starting out in my career, greatest piece of advice I got was, you know, keep your nose clean. And basically what that meant was, you know, one, you know, don't do brown nosing, number one, meaning, you know, just being phony, be genuine, but then also you know, don't get yourself into unnecessary through, and typically that's the kind of thing that comes through relationships with other people. Absolutely. it's. I think it's so important for you to talk about the fact that there's no HR in the art world. There isn't really this checks and balances system, among so many other things, like 401ks and healthcare and things that artists don't really have, but then you think about the infrastructure. And you, like you think about other systems that are within the art world, like the gallery spaces, the institutional spaces, the artist-run nonprofits, and those are places where workers have a certain amount of security. Whereas if you're an artist out there on your own, you really are out there on your own. And I think to be a young artist at any, young, old, whatever, but to be an artist at any point in your career and be able to speak to someone who is a patron of your work and ask them the kinds of questions that are pressing on your mind and that you don't have an answer to and you're, you're focused on the problem-solving aspect of your career, it's invaluable to be able to speak to someone like you. Yeah, yeah. As, and as I said, that's not something I was actually expecting. But through that baseline of I'm going to respect, you know, all relationships that, that I have, that meant being willing to open the door when I do get hit with those questions. Right. And, and through that also, it's also been able to build stronger relationships. You know, there's a certain level of trust that comes because I have no skin in the game there. And if I do buy someone's work, I become vested in that artist, and so I want to do whatever I can to actually help promote them. So that that's really the only thing that is beneficial for me. But outside of that, much more of it is really just doing whatever I can to assist this person navigate the you know various channels of the art world. Yeah, absolutely, I, I, absolutely. So switching gears a little, you know, when we started the conversation a couple of minutes ago, you talked about there being so many different forms of art, abstract, portraiture, photography, sculpture, installation, video, sound, we could go on and on and on. What do you really like? For me, it's really about the, 
the the breadth of the collection. I like art and I'm learning so much. And as I said, my, my intellectual curiosity is well-fed and it continues to be well-fed. And I started buying portraiture like a lot of, or figurative, like a lot of artists, uh, collectors do. And then I expanded into abstract. I expanded into abstract by just reading about it and learning the history of abstract and some of the, you know, the leadership there are not leaders, but those who were in the vanguard of abstract expressionism, the African-Americans who were part of that group, as well as how abstract has expanded around the world and just fed my intellectual curiosity so much that I started buying abstract. And then I started learning and getting more into photography and learning to appreciate different aspects of photography. I was just at a discussion at Spelman where three photographers were being interviewed and they're all three approaching it from different areas. And, and again, intellectual curiosity because there's, there's so much depth if you're willing to spend the time to actually learn. And here we had, you know, it's easy to look at a photograph and think they're all the same, but what we actually had was one photographer who was primarily focused on taking action shots in the real world of real actions. And then we had another who was actually taking shots that were actually staged, but they were staged of that particular, that particular artist. And then you had another who was actually taking works that were stage, somewhat stage, but of others. And there's three different approaches to photography, and there's so many other aspects of photography as well. And so it's, for, for me, I don't have a favorite medium. I love art, period. Yeah, I love that. I love that. I mean, considering that you're coming off the heels of the Spelman Symposium and you were at that talk, just like, you know, mere moments essentially before you got here and we started chatting like firstly who are those few artists that you just mentioned and what are some of if any the the like things that stuck with you in that conversation you know because it's fresh right it just it literally just happened yeah absolutely so many nuggets that I could go into on that one. One for sure is that, well, first of all, the, the artists, let's talk about those. So we actually had Genevieve Gagnard. I think it's Gaynard. Gaynard. Thank you so much. I always forget how to pronounce her name. Yeah. Literally. I'm sure she's probably uh, she's used probably, to that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or at least now she's like giving me a hard time. Sheila Prebright was also there. And the other artists will come back to me in a moment. But actually, here it is. It is Nadia Blas. Last name's B-L-A-S. Nice. So, so many, there were so many great nuggets in that discussion. I think number one, you know, shedding light on just the complexity within photography and how, how deep it actually goes. The other great thing about that is just to put in a word for the Spelman Museum and for the AUC. AUC is the Atlanta University Center, and that's, you have Clark Atlanta University, you have Morehouse, and you have Spelman here in Atlanta. And they actually have a phenomenal art program as well as a curatorial program. And they are minting the future of art and not just, you know, black art, 
but the future of all art. You know, the students who are going through that program will be, you know, the artists of the future, the curators of the future, the art historians of the future, the museum directors of the future. They are releasing an entire, you know, generation onto the world. And I'm just really excited about what those young people will do. So a number of them were in the audience asking great questions about you know, art and, and, you know, deep topics, you know, one of the questions was, you know, how do asking the artists, how do they think about thinking post-colonial? How do they approach creating work that is post-colonial, meaning that it's not centered on colonialism, which is a deep question. And Genevieve, she's such a character, right? Her answer was, you want me to answer that like today? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I've seen Genevieve on like two or three talks so far, and she has such an infectious sort of like she draws you in. She's very like she has this magnetic quality about her, but she's also very there's a bit of a cheekiness to it. You know, you can't quite place it. You're like, are you serious or are you joking? I love it. Yeah, yeah. I love it, too, actually. Yeah, I love her personality. So I have three of her works in my collection. Probably not done. Yeah, she's <laughs> but, awesome. She's yeah, awesome. Yeah. But I, I, I think what you're bringing up and is something I want to speak on because of how powerful conversation is and discourse is and just, you know, sort of chatting with someone. I, I really am a firm believer that you can kind of break down any barrier between you and another person just through sheer conversation and sort of getting to know people. And, and I think that for me listening to artist talks, listening to panels and sort of being a witness to what is happening, whether I'm participating and sort of witnessing at the same time, which can kind of happen simultaneously, or whether I'm in an audience and I'm just engaging and and, and observing. I think that there's a magical thing that happens when you have these conversations that are on an intellectual level where people are challenging ideas and challenging the way that we might envision ourselves in the world. And I would I would assume that anything that's post-colonial is actually quite difficult to conceive of in the world that we live in today as it exists. Yeah, I agree. I agree. You know, I've, I've had this discussion, that discussion with, you know, multiple artists, and I agree. I think it is a very difficult thing for us to even concept because you you have to uproot all the things that we've been you know exposed to and then take ourselves away from that which is one of the reasons why i think afrofuturism is an attempt at that it's really reimagining a, a you know a new world and then also too i think that we we lost so much of our heritage when we actually came here from when our ancestors came here from Africa. We lost, you know, so much heritage and there's a lot that's still out there, which, you know, you were, you know, in Ghana recently yes. and uh, had a, you know, nice, what's the word there? Life changing. Yes. You, you had an expansive experience, <laughs> and, which is, which is a wonderful thing. And I think that's, that's, I, I don't know if we can actually really get to a point where we're post, where we're of the mindset that of the pre-colonial world, right? Because that's going back in time. I don't know if we can quite do that. But that being said, we there is a post-colonial mindset that I think we should continue striving for. Absolutely, I, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think just to speak to sort of Ghana and, and 
that moment for me, which was really, you know, a four day trip that turned into seven weeks, which I'm just like, I still cannot believe that. Although I think what's even more crazy, what's crazy is like not the seven weeks. It's like that I was only going to be there for four days. It's like who goes to Africa for four that days. That was crazy. Right. That was crazy. <laughs> and so, you know, for me coming back from that trip and reflecting on some of the things that you just said, especially with regards to Afrofuturism and the idea of maybe never being able to recoup what was lost in the past, but building new futures and thinking about what is to come with a different mind, with a different consciousness. I think like anything else in life, if it, you know, like that the challenge of it is part of what is beautiful about it, right? Like the challenge of trying to strive for something that you don't yet see or isn't out there in the world for you is something that your imagination will take you and your your hard work and your discipline will get you there. But I think just kind of going back to Afrofuturism, I'm curious to hear, like, how, how do you think about it? Like, what, Because for me, I'm not sure if I have a working definition right now. You know, it's a concept that I've, like, heard about and read about and thought about, but I don't know if I have, like, a this is it, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, I don't have a working definition either. What I do have is a bit of a vision, and that vision is that there will be ties, economic, family, culture ties built across the Atlantic Ocean mm. between the diaspora and Africa. And that's the, you know, we think about the U.S. and we're so U.S.-centered, but it's so important that when we think about the the diaspora that we include those who are in South America, you know, Central America, and now elsewhere, that, you know, diaspora that didn't come through slavery, right? That's, you know, there's, you know, lots of diaspora out there. And I think that we can be mutually beneficial to each other in lots of different ways by building strong ties. And it, it is really about just starting out, reaching out and, you know, building those bridges. You know, one of the things, art has actually given me a forum to take on my own version of that. And that's really through supporting both artists from the diaspora as well as from Africa. And what that means is one, building relationships and getting to know you know, African gallery, Aiden Raleigh of Raleigh Gallery, just bought work from her over time and really appreciate and respect what she's doing, getting to know artist Victor, Victor Ahik Minifor. Yeah, you know, I love, love Victor. Love Victor, and he's become a friend. He's wonderful. Yeah, wonderful, has great words of advice as well. He's actually been, you know, very, I had breakfast with him, and it was probably one of the more, so inspiring, just sitting down, listening to him tell me what I should be doing for the city of Atlanta. Look at you that, know. an artist telling you what to do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, you know, he had done, you know, he's done a lot in Lagos and Nigeria. And yeah. so he was, you know, sharing, you know, that and felt compelled to actually, you know, share, pass on his wisdom to me. And I really, really appreciated that. But as we, as I talked about kind of those different areas where we can actually build and work together. And there's, you know, economics, there's family, there's, you know, culture, there's also art, 
you know, music, et cetera. We're seeing that now. We're seeing, you know, a lot of African music being becoming popular in the diaspora. Dance. I love what I'm seeing in dance. It's just, you know, that wasn't happening 30 years ago, right? This, you know, globalization of, of dance. And it's a, it's a wonderful thing. And that's an area where our cultures are connecting even better. But my own personal um, mission is to increase the awareness of African artists here in the U.S. And there are a couple of reasons behind that. If you think about the fact that Ernie Barnes, for instance, right? Ernie Barnes was in L.A. in freeze. He was being shown all over the city, multiple platforms. Well, Ernie Barnes was few people outside of the black community through the show Good Times knew about his work. And now Bill Perkins, God bless him, actually stepped in, you know, paid $15 million for a work because he understood the cultural significance of that work, Sugar Shack. There's a cultural significance to that work that the market was not valuing. He understood it. Now we're seeing Ernie Barnes where he should be. But there are a lot of other mid or 20th century black artists who are, you know, are out there and who are getting their flowers now. You think about Faith Ringgold with the, the shows that she's had. The new museum show was phenomenal. Right, American exactly. People. It's just a wonderful show. Ming Smith now as well, and others, you know, Frank Bowling, Alma Thomas, Ed Clark, Benny Andrews, a lot of these artists who were making great work in the 20th century, but not getting the credit for it, sometimes not even being able to sell their work because they were excluded from the art canon. They're now, their work is actually, it's being written about. They're getting the museum shows, which they, you know, rightly should and being written, you know, the canon's being, you know, rewritten, so to speak. So that's happened in North America. But what about Africa? Artists were creating work in Africa in the 20th century as well. And there were artists creating great work there. And one of my personal missions is to look for those artists and find out, you know, who they are. And if they should be in the art canon, then let's get them in. And by getting into the art canon, it's, you know, acquiring those works and getting those works into institutions in North America or elsewhere. I love that. I mean, I think... What's so wonderful about the way you began to answer that sort of question, which really wasn't a question. I think you went you went there. But when you started, you talked about mission, a mission. What is your mission right now? And it got me thinking about how important it is to have purpose in what you do, whether that's your professional work, whether that's a, a hobby that you take quite seriously, whether whatever whatever form it takes. But it sounds very much like you have a sense of the what and the why. It's not just buying art because it's beautiful and I can put it on my wall, right? You're doing something much more important than that. You seem to be from our conversations outside of right now and having known you for a couple years, somebody who is doing a lot of what you're doing with a certain intention in mind. There's an ultimate goal there. Yeah, I think that's a reflection of a number of things. One is, as I mentioned, the intellectual curiosity is there, but also the sense of fulfillment that I get out of art, which has to be more than just, you know, having a great collection that 
is on my walls. That's a big part of it, being able to wake up every day and walk down the halls and see these phenomenal works is a wonderful thing. But there was more to it than that. And you realize you're operating in an environment where it's not a perfect environment, the art world. Right. There are lots of challenges. There are lots of issues that have not been addressed and that need to be addressed. And I consider it fortunate that I kind of stumbled on this. And I, I have found a mission and missions within, you know, what, what I'm doing. And it's important to note, too, that, you know, just for the audience, you know, I'm collecting on multiple fronts. First, it's Africa and the diaspora. Then it's you know, three periods of, of time, so to speak. The, those 20th century um, artists who are creating work. So back to the Alma Thomases, the Bernie Ann, the Ernie Barnes, the exactly. Romare Beardens. Exactly, exactly. And, and one of the first, you know, the, you know, modern artists. And what's, what's important about that is they were, well, actually I'll go into that later, but let me keep going. So that's, so 20th century artists, a lot of them considered modernist and then mid-career. And so the mid-career artists are typically those who are working with galleries, right? They have an established career. They're working with, with galleries. For going to New York, oftentimes it's because a you know, mid-career artist is, is having a show at, an art, at, a, at a gallery. And then there's emerging. And the emerging part are really those up-and-coming artists. And they might be, you know, 40, 45, 48 years old, but they, you know, may still be emerging. Or they might be just out of undergrad or just out of grad school or a young, you know, self-taught artist. Emerging is, you know, emerging, there's no age limit on it. And so I'm collecting across all of those fronts, which is a lot. But the reason that I'm doing it is I find that, you know, I've been fortunate enough to build relationships with curators and through those discussions with curators i find that we're able to have a much more in-depth and broad discussion because of how i'm collecting because of how i've i've broadened it and it's really through discussions with curators that i've really honed in on that thesis around my collecting can you just share a little bit more about that like what are some of the things that you're talking about with curators that are helping to sort of guide your collection and make you think about it from a different point of view. Yeah, my whole the, the whole thing that I was just talking about earlier about identifying this African modernist really came from discussions with curators. Mm-hmm. You know, one case in point is Lauren Tate Baeza, who's at the High Museum, and Lauren has responsibility for African art. And in sitting down and talking with Lauren, as well as Ram, the director, also, the priorities around collecting of the high have been, you know, the, the current priorities around collecting have been shaped by, you know, the way that collecting has of African art has really happened in the Western world, you know, across the board. And so I love that the fact that both Rand and Lauren are addressing this from the standpoint of acquisitions, from the standpoint of there's a whole modernist, you know, group of African artists out there who should be in our collection. 
and let's go get them and let's you know build that and make this a, a strong collection. And I, I think that that's also you know as we look at you know Atlanta as a market, I think that's a very fitting thing for this market. What's that song? Eighty five to uh, <laughs> you know, which is you know very I think very appropriate. Yes. Yeah. Yes. 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 I love that. <laughs> so as we round out the episode, um... oh, just for those who don't know, eighty five is a freeway in Atlanta. So a lot of people probably don't know that uh, that eighty five to Africa is a thing. I love that. It's like, can we take take us back home? Yes. We can yes. take the freeway and go right back home. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I love that. So as we round out the episode, I want to know who are some of the artists in your collection? Who are? Well, I'll start in the let's break it up by those three groups, if sure. you don't mind. Sure, sure. So we'll start with the 20th century. So Benny Andrew, Betty Saar, Frank Bowling, Ed Clark. Norman Lou. A lot of the artists that I acquired from that period are abstracts. I really love the the richness of the abstraction work that those artists were doing. From a mid-career standpoint, I have a 2010 Kehinde Wiley in the collection. I have a Nathaniel Murray Quinn, a couple of works by Von Spann. Love um, Von Spann. Yeah. Genevieve, we talked about earlier as well. Dana Lawson. Yes. Yes. Tyler Mitchell. Beautiful. Tariku, my boy Tariku. Love Tariku. Um, Tariku Shifral. Ryan Cosbert. Yes. Massey, Darren Cooper. I'll pause there. Okay, you've got some heavy hitters. I mean, some classics and some new classics, I'd say. As we think about who are the young emerging artists or just younger artists of this generation who are showing so much promise right and experimenting and growing in their practice so that's beautiful yeah yeah it's you know one artist i recently collected is here in atlanta ayana ross mm. i really like ayana because she is approaching her work one she's a great painter phenomenal painter but she's bringing in a lot of historical references to her work and she she recently did a series on and henry tanner yes and she did a series of works that are influenced by Tanner. Now you look at the works, you don't see, you're not going to see anything that says, oh yeah, this is you know, Henry Tanner painting, which is perfect because it's in the dialogue of the work. And once she explains the work to you, then you get a sense of the level of research that she's putting into the work. And it's that research spans across you know, one, respecting what Tanner did and bringing that into her work, but then she's addressing it from the the message that you get when you visually look at the, the image, both from the character, you know, Tanner did, you know, portraiture, you know, figurative work, and when you see that, you see the, she's presented a figure who communicates a similar thing, say it's innocence, right, Daniel in the lion's den, in the same way that he did, or in a similar way or different way than what he did, but then also bringing in all these other elements into the, the work itself. So I won't go into detail on it, but just have a look at her work and like zoom in so you get a sense of the, the detail, but phenomenal painter. I love that. That's awesome. Okay, the last question for the episode before we wrap up. What are you super excited about? You know, like as somebody who's collecting, a patron of the arts, getting deeper and deeper into the art world as you go, what keeps you motivated? What keeps you excited? What keeps you inspired? And like, what are some of the things you're looking forward to, you know, as you look at the future? I'm really excited about the growth of black art 
and the number of people coming into the market. I'm really excited about that. It's it's invigorating what you see when you go to art fairs and art shows. It's also that level, the level of energy is coming in. You know, art is an ecosystem, right? There are artists, there are galleries, museums, writers, art historians, photographers, handlers, shippers. It's an ecosystem. And the more people that come into the ecosystem, the more opportunity it provides for artists to have the time to produce work as well as to get their work shown. And those things are so, it's so important to have that vibrant environment for artists. And so as I see new collectors coming on, I'm in a few chat groups, and as I see new collectors coming on, or I just go somewhere and people come up to me and they say, hey, I really admire what you're doing. I just got started collecting and I'm learning a lot, you know, from what you're doing. And I just love that because every time I hear that, that one person who's out there buying art at whatever price range that's enabling some artists to invest in their craft and that you know that's lifting up the market so the more of those moves that we have the stronger this market becomes and also too i think another thing is that a lot of people who have great means are coming into the market as well and but there are a lot more that actually could. And so it's we need both those who are able to come in and maybe buy a $100 work. But we also need those coming into the market who are able to buy a you know, $50,000, $100,000 work as well. Absolutely. You know, Ken, this has been such a lovely episode. We laugh, we talk, we connect, we like share like things from the past, you know, like what we did a couple months ago or all these different things. I, I feel like this has been a really great conversation and I'm, I've been so happy to have you on the show to share a little bit of your knowledge and your expertise with my audience. And I just want to say thanks so much. Well, thank you. I appreciate you love that the fact that you're doing this platform. You know, it's a great thing. It is part of the ecosystem. It's helping to educate people and keep it, keep it going. Thank you so much. That was my episode with Kent Kelly. I want to give a big shout out and a big thank you to Kent for joining me on the show. And it's a wrap, folks. That was our episode of Lightwork Presents Everything is Connected. Conversations on culture and current events with some of today's hottest creative contemporaries. These episodes are recorded wherever in the world that I find myself. May that be New York, LA, Miami, the continent, the Caribbean, Europe. Wherever it is that I find myself, I sit down with folks who are thought leaders, critical thinkers, and interested parties within the arts and beyond. These episodes reflect the times that we're living in while also adding some commentary to the social, cultural, and political issues of our world. Depending on where I am in the world at the time of our recordings, you will hear the sights and the sounds of our local environment throughout the U.S., West Africa, and beyond. I'm your host, Falashadi Logandudu, and we'll see you next time. As always, stay motivated, stay inspired, and stay up. Peace and love, y'all. We out.